Well, it's good to see you this morning. Let's take our Bibles, turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 3. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 3. And there are parallel passages uh, of this found in Matthew 3 and also in Mark, chapter number 1. But we're going to be dealing with Luke, chapter number 3 today. And I will refer to uh, some of the passages in some of the other places. But um, primarily we're going to be in Luke Three this morning. Let's read uh, the first 20 verses here. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Aturia and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene. Um, And Annas and Caiaphas, being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. That's not real popular, is it? You get preaching like that. They said, Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able to, of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? And he answered and saith uh, unto them, he, he that hath two coats, let him impart to, to him that hath none. He that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he say, said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, He said, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh the, the, shoe, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and who will th- truly purge his floor, and, uh, and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chafe he will burn with, unquenchable fi- with fire unquenchable. And many other things in this exhortation preached he unto the people. But Herod, the tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, 
and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. I want you to get the picture here. Approximately 18 years have passed since Mary and Joseph found their 12-year-old son in the temple and involved in his father's business. And they're asking questions and listening to those that were uh, supposed to be in charge of the temple. Now, during the years after their return to Nazareth, we, we last week saw where Luke says that Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man in Luke 2, verse 52. Now, during this time, Luke wrote in Luke 180 that our Lord's first cousin, uh, John the Baptist, who was the predicted forerunner of Christ, it said that he grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Now, it was a very spiritually dark time, this time that we're talking about here in nation, in uh, the nation of Israel's history, when both John the Baptist and then Jesus right after him appeared on the scene to begin their ministries that the Lord had for them. Luke therefore began by telling us who occupied the seats of highest authority in the land at that time. There in verse number 1, we read of some names that it would be hard to assemble a more wicked company of scoundrels than those politicians that I read off. Uh, Tiberius Caesar, uh, the Roman emperor, wanted to be seen and treated as God, but he wasn't God. Uh, Pilate was a Roman governor of Judea and was both despised and feared by the Jews. Herod Antipas, the, the Tetrarch of Galilee, Herod, Herod the Great's son, was unbalanced, he was dangerous, and he was cruel. Philip was Herod Antipas' half-brother and Tetrarch of uh, uh, those areas that we mentioned there. And his dad was also Herod the Great. And, of course, Licinius, he was, uh, just had a small area that he was in charge of. But all of these men shared one passion like most politicians of our day. And that is, they wanted more than anything else to retain their power. Isn't that that way? You know, somebody gets in power and, boy, they, do, they spend all kinds of money and do all that they can lie, cheat, and steal to try to see if they can stay in power. Then, in Luke chapter number 3 and verse number 2, we see the so-called spiritual leadership of Israel at the time. Understand that under Jewish law, there was to be only one high priest. Only one. But there are two that are mentioned here. The, the high priest was to be appointed uh, by God, God-appointed man from Aaron's family line, and he held the position for life. But God's way had been corrupted, and the Roman government was appointing its own religious leaders to maintain greater control of the Jews. And it's believed that the Roman authorities had deposed the Jewish-appointed Annas and uh, replaced him with his son-in-law, Caiaphas. Annas retained his title and probably also much of the power it carried because the Jews would have recognized him in their eyes, as being the high priest. Now, understand also it had been 400 years. That's a long time. That's 400 years since the last prophet of God had spoken. So it's against this backdrop that I just described 
of political and religious darkness that the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, according to verse number 2. Now I want you to reflect for just a minute on the most powerful preacher that you've ever heard and, and uh, uh, what made him so powerful. We know that there are some real power-packed preachers that are mentioned in the Bible. Uh, a couple of my personal favorites, I love Elijah of the Old Testament. I love Jeremiah of the Old Testament too. And then in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is one of my favorite. But I've been blessed to hear some powerful preaching from some men of God in my lifetime. I remember my days at Tennessee Temple in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, loving to hear evangelist Dr. Ron Comfort. I, he preached a revival there at Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was short in stature. But man, was he ever fiery when it came to preaching. He was tall in Holy Ghost power. He was nearly blind, but it didn't matter. He had most of the Bible memorized, not all the Bible memorized, and he would quote verse after verse in his messages without ever turning to in his Bible one time because it wouldn't do him any good to turn to the Bible because he couldn't see it anyway. I can name some other fiery preachers that I've heard in my lifetime, but we'd be here all morning long, and I want to move on. When I think of powerful preaching, I think of preachers in whom it is evident that they are filled with the power of God. Also, when I think of the messages they preach, they are both unapologetic and full of Scripture, and John the Baptist was that kind of preacher. He was unapologetic, and he preached the Bible. Look at Luke 3 and verse 3. It says, And John came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. He, um, uh, John's cousin, Jesus, uh, whom the apostle revealed as being the light of the world, and would also reveal him in John 1.29 as being the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Now understand that as a son of a legitimate priestly family, John the Baptist could have served in the temple. He could have had a kind of a leisurely life there in the temple, dressed in the finest clothes, eating of the best of the meat and bread sacrifices that would have been brought. However, according to Mark 1 verse 6, that he came dressed in camel hair garment, a leather girdle, or we would call it a belt, and had a diet of locusts and wild honey. I know that doesn't bring up much of an appetite this morning. I'm looking forward to something to eat after I leave this place this morning, but it's not going to be locusts and wild honey, I can assure you. But he confronted the nation as the first authentic prophet in over 400 years. Think about it. 400 years, and John the Baptist pops on the scene, and he's preaching. He came as God's messenger with God's message, and he declared God's judgment on those uh, uh, who would not repent. And uh, the wilderness where John the Baptist preached was a symbol of the spiritual barrenness that Israel was experiencing at the time. And spiritually speaking, the nation of Israel was living in the wilderness of unbelief. They had basically kind of uh, stopped, uh, in, uh, stopped looking for the Lord. Uh, there for a while they would look for the Lord, look for the Lord, look for the Lord, and then all of a sudden they just kind of gave up hope that whether he was even going to come. But by and large, the priesthood was corrupt, and the scribes and the Pharisees were hypocrites. 
the people desperately needed to hear a voice from God, John the Baptist was chosen by God to be that voice. And he was that voice. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Luke 1, verse number 15. And this is where uh, it talks of John the Baptist. Luke, Luke 1 and verse number 15 through 17 here. For, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the, of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I like that last statement, to, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And, and so we see uh, from this point, it was about 30 years from that point that I just read that where John the Baptist began to fulfill the preaching and baptizing ministry that God had called him to. Now we see uh, in, uh, in Mark's gospel, and you don't have to turn there, uh, but I'm just going to read from Mark chapter 1 and the first two verses. The gospel began with God's promises. Listen to Mark 1 verse 1 to 2. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall, uh, which shall prepare thy way uh, before thee. And so we see that, that the Lord had made a promise. We know the Lord had made a promise to Satan that he was going to send uh, the seed that would bruise his head and uh, the Satan would wind up bruising his heel uh, there in, the, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The Lord also made a promise to Israel. He first made the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, talking about the seed, Abraham's seed. And um, Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, he also made a promise through Moses. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And then the, the Lord God's promise included the promise of a forerunner that we saw in Mark chapter number 1, uh, and we see here in Luke chapter number 3. Uh, Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's where it was prophesied of the forerunner coming. And also Malachi 3, 1. Behold, I will send my messenger. He shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So it was mentioned that the forerunner would come, and then the Lord would come. And we know that Luke 3 here that we read, verses 4 through 6, is referring to Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. I'm not going to take time to turn over there this morning, but uh, what is the purpose of this forerunner? Well, it was to prepare the way for Christ's first coming. Christ's first advent, his first coming, John the Baptist paved the way for the Lord's first coming. Now, 
not only the gospel began with God's promises, but secondly, I want you to see that to be effective, the truth must be preached. And we see that uh, John the Baptist did just that. There in verse number 3, he came into all the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And, and I'm not going to read them again, but verses 7 through 18 that we read also talked about the, the, the truth that he preached. Preach the truth is what John the Baptist did. And understand that the truth may not always be easy to hear because the truth demands change. The truth demands change in our lives. John the Baptist came with a message of repentance. The words repent and repentance mean to turn back, mean to change, mean to turn around. Repentance actually has two sides. It is turning away from our sinful ways and is a turning toward God. Repentance is the simple act of turning and is reflective of a change of heart and a change of uh, mind. If your heart's not changed and your mind's not changed, you have not repented. I mean, that's the plain and simple. Repentance is needed to prepare the way for Jesus to come into one's heart and life. A unique feature of John the Baptist's ministry was baptism. Baptism was nothing new to the people of Israel. The Jews baptized Gentile converts to Judaism. But John the Baptist was baptizing Jews, and, and that was unusual. It was unusual. And what John said to the people in so many words was, Turn back to God and identify yourself with having repented by being baptized, and then your sins will be forgiven. Now, this does not mean uh, that baptism brings forgiveness of sins. In fact, John's baptism followed each person's repentance and was a sign of it. It was a sign that they had repented. And the same way that our baptism follows our salvation. And it shows our identification with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for our sins. Now John applied the pressure to people to take an honest look at themselves and then to change. And I'm challenging you this morning. Take an honest look at yourself. And if there's change that needs to take place, do so. The problem is that repentance takes humbling of self, and self does not like to be humbled. Another problem is that repentance causes us to have to admit the ugly truth about ourselves, and we don't like that either. We like to think we're okay. And thirdly, a problem is that repentance causes us to have to acknowledge the error of our ways. It causes us to have to say, I have been wrong. We don't like to say, I was wrong, do we? We don't like saying it. All of this is tough, and the reason it's tough is because of pride in our lives. But John was full of the Spirit, and he was preaching with such effect that the multitudes that came out to hear him would visibly fall under conviction, resulting in many of them repenting of their sins and then asking for John's baptism. Entering the waters of, of the Jordan River to be baptized demonstrated the person's spiritual willingness to have the Messiah forgive his sins. Now, I quote from Isaiah the prophet. Uh, Luke says here in John's uh, mission there in verse number 4, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. How did John prepare the way for Jesus Christ? Think about that. How did John prepare the way for Jesus Christ? He prepared people. 
How did he prepare people? He taught them about their need for repentance. He paved the way with God's demands for repentance and change, uh, the changed lives that it produced. That is not what most people want to hear, especially in our day. Most folks just want to come and do their little church thing and then go about their merry way without any repentance and without any change of any kind, except for maybe a, they want to have a good feeling inside when they walk out the doors. They don't want their lives transformed in such a way as genuine repentance must bring. It was no different in John's day. Nevertheless, John spoke the truth to them in spite of the fact that the truth may not always be easy to hear and may not be what folks want to hear. Some people came to John with no intention of changing. I'm talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. John was no softy though. Uh, He spoke very sternly and plainly to those who made only a half-hearted attempt to identify with his message. They really came out there out of uh, just curiosity. To them, John was an oddity. And they they were curious as to what they were going to see and what they were going to hear. Some showed up thinking that they could just listen to a few sermons and then go through John's baptism and then everything would be all right. But he surprised them with some very harsh words there in verse number 7. As he said, O generation of vipers, or you bunch of snakes... That's, what he, that's, that's exactly what he was saying. You bunch of snakes. And he was, he was saying that, we know according to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 7, he was saying that to the Pharisees and the Sadducees that came uh, to his preaching out there in the wilderness. Now, if John were preaching today, no doubt he would have had somebody come and tell him that he wasn't going to keep a crowd if he kept preaching like that. Can I tell you, in every church I've been in, I've had somebody say, well, you've got to stop preaching like that, preacher. We're going to lose a crowd. <laughs> I mean, that's hard preaching. He, he knew some of these people just came to hear him out of curiosity with no intention of allowing their evil natures to be changed. Then he said in verse 8, he said, Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. John destroyed their sense of false confidence. Many of the Jews thought that they were destined for heaven simply because they were the descendants of Abraham. But John blew that up in verses 8 and 9. He said, Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So John was not impressed with those who had a religious profession but that did not produce proper fruit. So the gospel began with God's promises to be affected, the truth must be preached. And here's the third thing, and the last thing. The truth has not and does not change. The truth has not changed, and it does not change. Listen, John preached that Jesus was on his way, and folks had better prepare to meet Jesus. You know what we preach today? Hey, listen, Jesus is on his way back, and folks better prepare to meet Jesus. That's right. Are you ready to meet Jesus this morning? Have you been born again? 
If not, you're not ready. You better get ready. If you're not living for Jesus, listen, if you're not living for Him, you're not ready either. You may be going to heaven, but you're not ready to meet the Lord and stand before Him if you're not living for Him. Another thing here. We see that John preached that folks needed to repent and show that repentance, that show that their repentance was real. And, and we preach that folks need to repent and show that their repentance is real. God, God wants more than just a simple profession of faith. He wants to bring forth change in our lives. He has, he's changed many. Has He changed you? Have you brought forth fruit that shows you have repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Him and Him alone? If you say that you've repented and are following Jesus, well, show it by, uh, by following Him and believer's baptism. First of all, if you've not followed Him in believer's baptism, you need to make sure that you've done that. Show it also in your works. Show it in a changed life. Ephesians 2 verse number 10 said that we're, we're saved, that God has saved us unto good works. He's ordained beforehand that we ought to walk in those good works. And a third thing. John preached, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He pre preached that later. We see his message as Jesus came. John wasn't Jesus. In fact, he said he must increase, but I must decrease. He knew that Jesus was going to be elevated when he came. And he, John wasn't Jesus, but he pointed folks to Jesus. And listen, we preach Jesus. We preach Jesus, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's Colossians 1.28. Listen, I'm not Jesus. I can't save anybody this morning. But I can point you to the Lamb of God who can save you and wants to save you. Amen? He does. I, why not come today and let us point you to the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The truth is the same for everyone. It's time to repent. Time to repent if you are heading in the wrong direction. None are exempt. It matters not your position, your power, or your possessions. Acts 17, verse 30 and 31. And it says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, speaking of Jesus, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Now, in closing, I want, to, I want you to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, with me. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. And not only did John the Baptist preach repentance, but we see Jesus told folks they need to repent as well. In John, chapter number 13, we see two instances here where he encouraged his listeners to repent. In John 13, verse 1, Said so there were some that there there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, and Jesus answering is said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans, because they suffered such things. Now that was the thinking. That that just happened to them because they were 
They were wicked and they were sinners, you know. Uh, he says, verse 3, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or, and he gives another example in verse 4 and 5. He says, or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? Yeah. It's easy for us to look at some disaster take place in the world or even in, in the United States here and say, well, you know, God's, God's just judging them. Yeah. But what about you? <laughs> I Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? He says, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Listen. God wants us to repent. Jesus wants us to repent. If you're not repented, if you turn to the Lord today, if you need Jesus, come receive Him today. If you are a child of God, you've already uh, uh, come to the, to the saving knowledge of Jesus, make sure that you're ready to meet Him. Jesus is coming. And I know a lot of folks don't believe that. Yeah? The world doesn't believe it. It's obvious they don't believe it because they're not making preparation for it. And sadly, there are a lot of believers who say they believe that Jesus is coming, but they're not, they're, not making, they're not making ready for it. They're not acting like they're ready for Jesus to come. Is thy heart right with God? If not, get it right today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today.